Good morning, Christ Chapel. How are you? Good. Glad you're here. I'm humbled to get to be up here and preach God's word with you. Uh, if you would, flip in your Bibles to Acts chapter 23. It's going to be page 932. If you got one of those blue Bibles in any of the venues, page 932. We're going to jump into it. We're, we're going to have to set up a lot of biblical uh, principles first, uh, but what I'm going to talk about this morning is going to tie back to last week's sermon. If you remember last week's sermon, Cody talked from Acts 22 as Paul was continuing to give his testimony, as is now kind of a theme throughout most of the rest of the chapters in the book of Acts. And we talked about the power of our story, right? If you didn't hear that sermon, go back, please listen to it. It was powerful to get to see how God uses our stories. And so uh, the last couple of weeks as I've studied this, one of the ways that my hope is Acts 23, 24, and 25, which we're going to fly through today, uh, what it'll do is it'll complement the idea that it's not just the power of our stories, it's also the power of our circumstance. And that there are circumstances that help shape those stories that point to God, that God uses, uh, God orchestrates at times, and so there are circumstances that he uses in just powerful ways, and that's kind of where we're going. I think the challenge is we lose perspective. Right, I lose perspective of how powerful these circumstances can be, how patient God might be, how sovereign he is, how good he is, despite any number of circumstances. It could be hard circumstances. It could just be me stuck in a season of waiting. Uh, it could be just circumstances that have me busy and distracted. And yet, I lose perspective that God is still the author telling a, a powerful story in my life and using the circumstances around me. Let me illustrate it this way. Because I think the disconnect um, for me when I drift away from a proper perspective of seeing the circumstances in my life uh, it, it, through a biblical lens uh, is I just stop appreciating them. Um, the West Campus pastor, Matt Lance, somebody give Matt Lance a hug today, good guy down there. South Campus is Micah Barnum. Both of those guys are better dads than me. They take their kids camping and hiking and all those cool stuff. I think Matt just got back from some fancy national park that I should know um, Right, and, and they, they take their kids and they do these awesome stuff, and so shout out to you guys. Um, we don't do that, and, and I wonder, too, if we were to put um, our kids in the car. Um, Danielle and I got an opportunity to go to Yosemite several years ago, and we drove through Yosemite, and, and one of the things in it that day was there was all kinds of traffic. There was uh, something going on at the park, and so there was just, I mean, it was just kind of stop-and-go traffic winding through uh, the park. And if you've ever been to Yosemite National Park, it's unbelievable, right? As, as all national parks would be, I, I would assume. It's just amazing. And Danielle and I loved it. It was worshipful. It was incredible. I mean, we're just winding our way through. We weren't going there to hike. We, we really just took a detour, and we wanted to kind of spend a day uh, cutting through Yosemite Park, heading somewhere else. And it was just amazing and, and really a worshipful experience for us, even though it's stop and go. Here's the thing. If I had my kids in the car, right, you know you can hear it, right? Are we there yet? Are we there yet? Right? Road trips and, and the, back, the backseat noise of are we there yet is a, is a loss of perspective that maybe God is doing something in the drive as opposed to just the destination. I think with circumstances that happens a lot, certainly in my life. When circumstances are happening in my life that are either hard or confusing or, or just busy and distracting, any, any level of, of circumstance um, I can easily miss what God is doing. I can easily miss how God's power is and can be working through those circumstances because I'm just focused on, all right, let's get this over with. Let's move on to the next thing. 
Let's get to the destination. So here's where we're going in this sermon. There's going to be kind of three sections I want to preview. First, we've got to talk through three major biblical categories of of how God can impact uh, our circumstances and make an impact through our circumstances. And then we'll shift into this case study. Uh, And so really what we're going to see in Acts 23, 24, and 25 is, is, is... Paul is going to start getting shipped around town, and, and what we're going to see is some, some pretty uh, wild circumstances in his life, and so we're going to use that as a case study of these biblical uh, categories we see, and then we're going to leave here and apply it to our lives and, and really hopefully let the Lord do what only the Lord can do. So that's where we're going. First, uh, the three biblical categories, right? How he uses and works through our circumstance, and the first there in your notes is that God can use our circumstances to reveal himself to us. God can use, and we see this throughout Scripture, that he can use circumstances in our life to reveal himself to us, right? And I mean salvation here, right? That God uses circumstances to save those who are saved, right? If you are in Christ, uh, similar to last week when Cody talked about the story you have, if, if you're in Christ, if you have experienced the salvation that God brings by grace through faith in Jesus, and I ask you, man, what happened? How'd that happen? You would have a powerful story to tell. Well, I would also imagine that there would be circumstances all throughout your story shaping what God was doing to reveal a previously unknown God, an unknown father to you as he revealed himself to you through circumstances, through the power of the Holy Spirit, through the people around you and his word and all of those things. Right? And we see it. Right? We don't have to go far in scripture to see it. Right? Acts 8 Right? If you remember, we see Philip um, go down a road. He doesn't know where God is sending him or why God is sending him down a road. And he runs, into, um, he runs into an Ethiopian eunuch who just circumstantially happened to be on that road and was searching for this God, trying to put the pieces and make the dots connect and was actually studying Old Testament scripture, trying to figure out this, this hope that he was still missing and, and looking for. And just circumstantially, God brings Philip into his life and this eunuch gets saved and believes and goes back and who knows the impact he made. Acts 16, right? We see, we see the Philippian jailer experience, experience wild circumstances as his jail that he's responsible for crumbles in an earthquake. He loses hope. Fear overwhelms him. He's about to take his life in Acts 16. Circumstantially, Paul uh, rounds the corner just in time, stops the Philippian jailer, shares the gospel, shares the hope that we have, talks him through Christ. That jailer gets saved. He goes home. His whole house gets saved. And his eternity and his whole family tree is changed for all eternity. And so we see these circumstances story after story in the Bible. We see God use circumstances around people to lead to their salvation, right? And, And so in your story as well. Right, your story, if you are in Christ, it might be, man, you experienced some horrible tragedies and you had yet to meet this, this God and yet those tragedies God used to bring you to a relationship with him that changed everything. Or maybe, maybe you grew up in a Christian home and that's how your story begins. And, and you said, well, I grew up in a Christian household and, and those circumstances of how you grew up, you maybe saw the gospel modeled but you had yet to make it personal in your own life, right? Maybe you were angry at God because of circumstances that had happened or were happening in your life and you were doubting and angry and you continued to step in and you saw a God who met you with mercy and met you and and saved you. Who who knows what your story is, but 
circumstances are going to be used all throughout to, to save people, to bring them to Christ. Along with our salvation, there's also this second powerful way, a category of how God uses circumstances I want us to appreciate. That's how he sanctifies us, right? The, the, there's a powerful way God can use circumstances in our lives to sanctify us, right? If the Bible, if the Bible is our authority, which here at Christ Chapel it is, unapologetically, unflinchingly, this is going to be our authority. This is what we stand on. And if that's the case, then what we see biblically is uh, salvation and assurance of salvation uh, that we can have. But then also we, we see this actual journey. We are saved, but then we also see in Scripture a journey by which we are sanctified and matured in that faith. And so this salvation and sanctification are these, are these two things that are happening we can we can see him through circumstances and be matured, right? We take three steps forward, and two steps back, this refinement process that fills up the rest of our lives until, until one day we, we see Jesus face to face. And he uses our circumstances to sanctify us. Look what Paul, at the beginning of Romans 5, he says. At the beginning, the first couple of verses, he's talking about justification and salvation that Jesus brings. And then in verse 3, he says, Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Consistent through the Bible is this truth that hard things can be used by God to bring about good things. And even Paul is urging the Romans to understand and to see a different perspective of the circumstances, in this case, the, the hard things that they're going through, to see them through a different lens. They, wait, these aren't just things to, to simply avoid. These are things to be able to take hope in. James even says to count joy when we face them because he has a plan, because he's using them for our refinement, for our sanctification. But also, third category, and this is contrary to where my heart uh, default setting tends to pull me at least, is that this whole thing isn't about us, right? And so, yes, God uses our circumstances to save us, those who are in Christ. He uses our circumstances to sanctify us. We see that. But also, God can use our circumstances to reveal himself through us. And Cody talked a lot about this last week. We saw it in Acts 22, that, that God uses our, our lives and our stories and even the circumstances and how we navigate those circumstances, how we see them, he uses them in the lives of other people to reach other people, maybe once removed or twice removed from us. Uh, Acts 16, right? The disciples come across a, a demon-possessed girl and, and they're able to set her free and change her life, right? In Thessalonica, in Acts 17, or people who are testifying that these people who are following the way have turned the world upside down. I mean, we see followers of Jesus as they interact affect those around them. Right? There is a waves and ripples that God uses for those who follow him. Paul right, is used by God to sharpen Peter. Even sharpening Peter's theology and some of the applications of the gospel of grace. Right? We see that happening throughout the history of the, the beginning of the church. Paul and Peter walking together, and God using each other to sharpen each other, right, in active and passive ways, right? So your life, right, our, our stories 
do they bless? Or, or is God using them to reach others, to not just reach others, like we talked about in the sermon last week, but also just to help give even believers a deeper picture of who Jesus is? Right? For, for my faith to deepen, and my faith is deepened, church, by you, the church, walking out your faith in front of me. And so as I, as I sit with a dad whose daughter has cancer, and I listen to that dad, that follower of Jesus, grieve and wrestle with the circumstances of his life under the umbrella and standing on the foundation of still believing God is good, that reveals a God deeper and deeper and deeper that I worship. When, uh, when we walk with each other in real and vulnerable ways, that happens, right? When I walk with a man who has experienced horrible abuse in his childhood, and now I get to walk with him, and just bit by bit he is seeing healing as he is walking close with Jesus. God uses that through him to give me a better picture of God can do that. God can actually redeem and restore things that were, were broken, and, and the things that I know to be true I see and am changed, or even ways that I get to be used as I've been able to get to grieve with a young dad who's going through his first miscarriage, and I get to sit across from him, being a man who Danielle and I lost two babies uh, early uh, in our marriage, and I get to sit across from him and grieve, but also point to the hope that we have and the goodness of God still through that and, and meet him where he's at and, and just grieve and, and be in those places. And all of those circumstances in our life not just as illustrations to share the gospel and, and, and pithy stories from our life to be able to hopefully um, share our faith, but also just as we walk out our day in Christ uh, under the hope that we have in him. God uses our circumstances to introduce us to himself. He uses them to sanctify us and he uses them to reach others and shape in and sharpen and, and inspire others? Do we appreciate how God can use those circumstances? Now, hear me out on this, because um, as, I talk about, um, as I talk about this God of the Bible who uses our circumstances for his purposes and in many ways, um, I, I want to be really careful. Uh, I want to make sure that we're holding on to the tension of what is true in Scripture also. We don't drift from what also we need to be true, and there's there's two big things I, I want to just touch on briefly, two tensions that we hold as, as believers who know that God is, is behind and sovereign and in control and, and behind so much of our life, but also uh, there's a few other things that we know we've got to hold on to, I want to be sensitive to, that God is not the author of evil. And so as I talk about circumstances and look and tragedy and look how God uses it, we have to hold in tension that God is not the author of evil, right? We know in 1 John uh, chapter 1, verse 5, that God is light, in him there is no darkness, right? The Apostle John says, this is the message I have heard from him and proclaim to you that God is light, and in him there is no darkness. He doesn't deceive. He, he, he is not the author of darkness in our life. There are all sorts of reasons why we experience horrible things and the, the brokenness of the fall all sorts of situations in our lives, and we can wrestle with the why without losing sight of the who our God is. 
And that's important to do, that we can still wrestle with the why and we don't need to give pithy answers and come up with a theology that, that just is really easy to say quickly in a sermon and fits in a nice box and puts God in a box that we're comfortable with. We can wrestle with hard whys without losing sight of the who God is in the Bible, which is he is definitionally good. By definition, his character, he is good. He is definitionally worthy of our worship. And we hold those things in tension at times. Second thing we need to not lose sight of is that God is not an apathetic spectator. Right? He, he's, not this, he's not this removed spectator as we're going through hard things or we're sitting and waiting or, or we're hurting in certain ways that he's removed himself. That's not who our God is. Hebrews 4, verses 14 through 16, the author of Hebrews says this. He says, since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confessions, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. And then verse 16 says, Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. In the Old Testament, the high priest would have been set apart. Right? The high priest wouldn't have spent a lot of time with common, unclean people. But Hebrews here, this revolutionary turn that Jesus orchestrates, that God orchestrates through his son Christ, says that this is a new, once and for all high priest. Jesus, he's different. He can sympathize. And he, he has gone through all of the temptations and all of the hurt and all of the pain and all the loneliness, and all the opportunity to disobey, but he has remained holy, hung on a cross, so that we might be his, so that we might be able to approach a holy God that we've got no business approaching in and of ourselves. No amount of church attendance, no amount of the, the morality checklist earns us the ability, but our high priest Jesus who says, I have earned it. Surrender to me, put your faith in me, and the grace of God allows you to approach. Right, but not only is our God not the author of evil, right, but he is present and he is approachable when we are in the hardest of circumstances. He is approachable. He's not unsympathetic or distant from the feelings of being hurt or the feelings of being alone. He was alone. He hung on a Roman cross. He experienced the worst pain and the worst loneliness and the worst separation and he did that for us. And so as we grieve, we hold these things in tension. As we experience circumstances and we give God credit and we, and we try to appreciate maybe even hard things or, or confusing things, we can't lose sight of the fact that but God is still good. He's not the author of evil and also that he is with us in those places. All right, so the table's set. Case study time. Case study time. Let's look at some circumstances. We see these biblical categories, but here Paul endures and experiences uh, quite a lot of stuff in Acts 23 through 25. And I'm going to paraphrase a lot of it and just walk us through this narrative. It's, a, it's an awesome, awesome story. Um, last week, Acts 22, you, you remember Paul testifies about what God has done and who he is, right? Uh, the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem, they do not like this, right? It causes a lot of trouble because here's Paul talking about the gospel. They get really worked up, right? Causes a lot of trouble. Romans are like, okay, who is this guy who's causing trouble? They literally string him up they're about to flog him, and then they realize, oh, he's a Roman citizen. I don't, know if, I don't know if we're allowed to do this. And so there's this pause, right? They pause on the beating they were about to lay on him. 
Right then, beginning in chapter 23, where we pick up, Paul stands in front of the Roman council and the Jewish leaders, and he begins to make some statements. Look at verses 1 through 3 of chapter 23. And looking intently at the council, Paul said, Brothers, I have lived my life before God in all good conscience up to this day. And the high priest, Ananias, commanded those who stood by him to strike him on the mouth. Then Paul said to him, God is going to strike you, you whitewashed wall. Are you sitting to judge me according to the law, and yet contrary to the law, you order me to be struck? Okay, pause there. Talk about wild circumstances, right? This escalates quickly, guys. This really escalates quickly. Let me explain, right? Paul's strung up. He's about to get whipped by the Romans. He says, look, I have done nothing wrong. And this leader of the the Jewish council here, this high priest, says, smack him in the mouth. And Paul says, God's going to smack you. Right? And, and everyone gets real flustered. Paul ends up dialing it back. He ends up dialing it back. And then he begins to talk about the resurrection. And he begins to talk about the resurrection in a group of people that are filled with Pharisees and Sadducees. And all of a sudden, they start arguing about the resurrection. And he's introduced this topic that's core to the Christian faith. And all of a sudden, it's created division between them. They were kind of unified at first. Like, we both think Paul's a troublemaker. And now they're like, well, wait, I think I do believe. Well, I don't. And all of a sudden, it's gotten really violent, really wild. Things get rowdy. Look at verse 10 and 11. And when the dissension became violent, the tribune, afraid that Paul would be torn to pieces by them, commanded the soldiers to go down and take him away from among them by force and bring him into the barracks. The following night, the Lord stood by him and said, Take courage, for as you have testified to the fact about me in Jerusalem, so you must testify also in Rome. Fights are breaking out. Circumstances around Paul are officially at a boiling point. Um, And it triggers this, this incident where now the circumstances of Paul, because everything's gotten so violent, those circumstances have now brought him into the barracks, which is going to be key, right? Then verse 11, we'll circle back on uh, later. But verse 11 is, is huge. It's this idea that the Lord, it's this reality, the Lord stood with Paul and comforts him. And in, in many ways, this is really the beginning of the end for, for Paul, right? He still has several years left and a lot of challenges, but really Paul never experiences. After this, he's brought into the barracks. Most of the rest of Acts, he's under guard or under watch or being shipped somewhere else to stand trial somewhere else, um, Acts 23, verses 12 and 13, uh, says, When it was day, the Jews made a plot and bound themselves by an oath, neither to eat nor drink till they had killed Paul. There were more than 40 who made this conspiracy. We can't avoid the observation that Paul's circumstances are full of persecution. Right? You can't read Paul's story in Acts without seeing that these circumstances in Acts through Paul are full of persecution, right? It's the threat of persecution at every turn. He's moments away from being flogged in chapter 22. Now in chapter 23, he's got a group of 40 men, 40 men who make vows that they will not eat until they kill Paul. And we all know the only thing worse than an assassin is a hangry assassin. (laughs) And that's what's happening now. A bunch of assassins who now are super hangry, right? And that's the situation that he now lives in. Those are the circumstances. Let me summarize what's about to happen. Because they hatched this plan to kill him in verse 15. They're like, I know, we'll kill him while he's getting transported. Paul's nephew learns of this plan. Paul, Paul's nephew tells Paul. Paul says, hey, you got to go tell a guard. He goes and he tells a guard. The secret plot to kill Paul while he's being transported kind of floats up to the top of the ranks. And then in verse 23 and 24, look what happens. 
Then he, which is, which is one of those overseeing, or one of those Romans overseeing the situation. Then he called two of the centurions and said, get ready 200 soldiers with 70 horsemen and 200 spearmen to go as far as Caesarea at the third hour of the night. Also provide mounts for Paul to ride and bring him safely to Felix, the governor. So here's the circumstances of Paul's life. He's persecuted, he's hated, and these bleak circumstances and hardships now escort him right into the lap of the governor of the entire region. Right? And guess what Paul is going to do when he is now with the governor of the entire region? He's going to keep sharing the gospel. Right? And that's what we see in the first half of chapter 24. He does just that. Paul's circumstances are so full of hardship and persecution, but God still uses them. They're full of, they're full of this hard threats, conditions, but God still uses those circumstances. And one way you can look at this is, yeah, these are really crummy circumstances, and this is injustice. Or you can look at this through a different lens, a different perspective, and yes, acknowledge their horrible circumstances, but appreciating his circumstances through a different lens makes you say, well, yeah, they're horrible, but what's God going to do in being able to now reach an audience that he would have never been able to reach as he's now taken down to Caesarea, has an audience with the governor? Do you see your personal hardships? Do you see your personal persecution, the challenges in your life? Do you see them as obstacles to your happiness? Or are they trials and challenges in your life, circumstances that, yes, we'd like to see go away, but, but maybe God is doing something, and maybe there's a refinement. Maybe he's using it in someone else's story. It doesn't mean we don't ask for them to leave. I mean, even Jesus says we ask for those things. There's nothing wrong or evil. If you're in a hard situation, say, God, bring me comfort. Bring me relief. Bring me answers. Bring me a solution. But simultaneously with that, we can, we can say not just why God, not just why God, but how God do you want to use this? It's another layer of how we as believers, biblical followers of Jesus, can appreciate the circumstances in our life. Not just, why are you doing this? But God, how can you use this? How can you use it for your glory? Acts 24, 22 through 27. He's been sharing the gospel with Felix the governor. And then verse 22 says this, But Felix, having a rather accurate knowledge of the way, Put them off, saying, when, when Lysilius, the tribune, comes down, I will decide your case. Then he gave orders to centurions that he should be kept in custody but have some liberty and that none of his friends should be prevented from attending his needs. After some days, Felix came with his wife, Drusilla, who was Jewish, and he sent for Paul and heard him speak about faith in Christ Jesus. And as he reasoned about righteousness and self-control and the coming judgment, Felix was alarmed. And said, go away for the present. When I get an opportunity, I will summon you. At the same time, he hoped that money would be given to him by Paul. So he sent for him often and conversed with him. When two years had elapsed, Felix was succeeded by Portius Festus. And desiring to do the Jews a favor, Felix left Paul in prison. What? Did you guys catch two years? Right, I love that the author of Luke, that Luke here in, in Acts is just like, oh, by the way, this was two years. Two years of him now sitting in captivity, being brought out, really because the circumstances of this, this governor's life is he's just hoping Paul will bribe him. Paul doesn't bribe him because he's just going to keep sharing the gospel and keep unpacking righteousness and the truth. And two years, 
He has kept Paul in custody. Paul outlasts the governor's reign. And eventually the governor now passes off to, to Festus. We think about giving God glory and leaning into hard circumstances. When we talk about, okay, I'm going to give God glory when things are hard, I think we can at least intellectually wrap our minds around this, but, but not for two years. I can do it for a little bit, but not when that prolongs and goes on and on. And sometimes circumstances are hard and we have to hand them over. But man, sometimes the hardest thing is just waiting. Paul's circumstances were full of waiting. I want you to see that in, in this passage throughout Scripture, we see that here, Paul's circumstances are full of waiting, but, but Paul didn't give up. He never gives up, right? He stays resolved. And this is some of you right now, right? Some of you can really relate to this. As you, as you hear this and as you see this, and as hopefully the Holy Spirit illuminates God's word, and we see this idea of, wait, I'm stuck waiting. It's one thing to go through hard things, it's another thing to just be stuck not knowing, right? Maybe you're waiting for an answer in your life. Maybe you're waiting for a next step. Maybe you're waiting for relief. Maybe you're waiting for fulfillment of something. You're waiting for a desire that hasn't been met. You're waiting for healing, and you don't know what it is, and you feel in the dark. It's one thing to be struggling with something and, and try to give God glory through it. It's another thing to say, I don't, I don't know. I, I don't know. I'm, I'm, just, I'm just sitting. I'm waiting. If I can see my hard circumstances potentially being used by God, can I see my stagnant circumstances as being used by God also? Can I appreciate stagnant circumstances in my life and say, wait, I don't want to just drive through this looking for the destination of, well, God, hurry up and get me this answer. I want to say, wait, God, maybe you're doing something in this waiting. Right? We've got ministries here tied to, to sitting with people while they wait. We have a ministry here at Christ Chapel called Wait, uh, wait With Me. And we literally sit with, with married couples who are still waiting to get pregnant and, and wrestling through that, that miracle and, and wrestling through the sovereignty of God and asking and, and grieving and waiting with them. Right? There's so many situations in our life, mysterious health issues that we, we don't have answers on or work struggles your circumstances might be full of waiting. That might be a season you're in. That might really resonate with you. And if so, don't give up. Be resolved. Paul doesn't let his not knowing what will, what will become of his circumstances. He doesn't let that not knowing take precedent over the fact that he does know who God is. And here's the last category and the last style of circumstances talk about here, and we see it at the beginning of chapter 25, Paul's circumstances are full of fluff. I'm going to go through this one, this one quick, but, but here's what's happened. Festus has now taken over. Festus uh, goes down and visits with those Jews, in, or goes up to Jerusalem and visits with them, and, and they bring up Paul. This is two years later, and they're like, hey, you guys, you got a prisoner that you inherited? Paul, we don't like him. Uh, we think you should bring him down here for, for a trial, Right? And the reason they want that is because they are still trying to ambush him on the way down. Right? Remember, two years, two years earlier, they said they weren't going to eat until they killed him, which makes me wonder, did they starve to death? Did they, are they just massively malnourished? These 40 guys, are they just drinking protein shakes as like an end around for their vow with God? I'm not sure. I didn't dig into that. 
But, but th- they're still that angry. There's that much hatred and persecution. Well, Festus doesn't bite. He says, actually, you guys come down to Caesarea. We're not going to bring Paul to you. You guys come and you hear him. And so then again, another opportunity for Paul to get to share the gospel. But then something else happens. The king shows up. King Agrippa over the area. He shows up. And, and so this is what I want you to see. Verse 23 of chapter 5. So on the next day, Agrippa and Bernice came with great pomp, the king over the region, great pomp, and they entered the audience hall with the military tribunes and the prominent men of the city. Then at the command of Festus, Paul was brought in. Just stop for just a second. All of these things playing out in the story of God that he is telling through Paul. You've got hardship, you've got waiting, you've got all kinds of stuff, but you've also got just pomp and fluff right? You've got fluff, distractions. You've got this king who shows up and and he says, okay, I'm going to hear the testimony of of Paul and I'm going to hear what this guy has to say. And so he shows up with this council and it's this, this great pomp, which literally translates this vain show that shows up. And Paul is unmoved by it. He doesn't flinch. He's not impressed. He's not distracted by all of the fluff and all of the pomp. Paul stays focused on his mission. Right? And there's, there's no end to the fluff and the distraction in our life, right? There's no end to that, right? This is a life full of fluff and distractions, right? But we, he kept in perspective the mission that God had called him to. He kept that in perspective. We're distracted so easily. Christmas season is such a great example of that, that we get distracted by the point of it. So how do we do this? How do we apply this? My hope is the Holy Spirit helps us appreciate our circumstances, maybe gives us a lens and a perspective to, to see them differently, to see how Paul interacted. But also I want to I encourage you with a few things to remember as fuel as you're trying to continue to build those muscles and, and stay uh, resolved in those ways. And it ties back to chapter 23, verse 11. I said I would bring you back there. I will. I, I think this verse is a hinge verse for really the, the rest of Paul's resolution to to finish strong. I think Paul's ability to finish strong is so tied to a sovereign God who met him, met him in the barracks that night. And the following night, this was right before he was, he was getting pulled and tugged and he was in the barracks. And, and it says, the Lord stood by him and said, take courage for as you have testified to the facts about me in Jerusalem, so you must testify also in Rome. How many times has Paul been in prison? How many times has Paul been beaten or threatened to be beaten? He's got to be weary. He's got to be weary. Three things the Lord does here for Paul in this verse 11. Three things that we see in the character of God that he stands with him. He draws near. He stands with Paul. But also he encourages him by pointing back to what he's already accomplished. He says, take courage. For as you have testified to the facts about me in Jerusalem, he says, hey, look, Take courage because look, you've already testified about me in Jerusalem. And then he also sets his focus on the mission ahead. So you must testify also in Rome. And I think it's a beautiful thing for us to apply. To say, how do we walk out a new perspective holding the tension of a goodness of God and a sovereign king with the circumstances of our life? We remember that the Lord stands by you. Remember, church, remember that the Lord stands by you. You are not alone. Remember Hebrews 4. Remember Acts 23, verse 11. Persecution can be hard. Persecution can be hard. Waiting can be hard. If if that's you, if that's you today, be encouraged. Be encouraged. Not that your circumstances are going to improve overnight. That's never really the promise. 
but be encouraged that the Prince of Peace is with you. That's where our encouragement comes from. In the midst of hard and challenging things in life, be filled with hope. Not because your challenges are going to go away circumstantially. God doesn't promise that. But be filled with hope because the God who victoriously endured all of these challenges, he tells us he will not leave us or forsake us. If you're in Christ, he is standing with you. He's standing with you. That's a promise. And so as we hold the tension of navigating circumstances in ways that might be used for others' salvation and sanctification in our own life, hold fast to this truth that, that he is standing with you. That the Spirit of God, who even Jesus says is better than him in, in John 14, is with us and indwells us and is the Prince of Peace and working these things out, that you are not alone. And, and that is if you're in Christ. And if you're not in Christ... If you're not in Christ, you've yet to accept that gift of grace, then, then know that he is also standing in front of you, knocking. Say, I will be with you. I will be with you not because you earned it and not because you are churchy enough and not because you're moral enough and not because, but be, because I am gracious. Would you surrender, follow me, put your faith in me? And he stands before you and knocks. And then also we remember what he's already done. Right? We know he's standing with us, but we also see what he's already done, and we look back right? while we're waiting, and we're curious, and we're hurting. We look back and see, look how he has always kept his promises. Look how he has always provided in those ways. And so those, those unanswered questions, we take comfort, not only that he is with us if we're in Christ, but also look what he's done, and then, and then remember what God has given us. He's given us a mission. And so we look forward. So churches, we navigate our circumstances. We get easily distracted. We easily lose sight of the mission that God has called us to, a purpose that God has given you. God has given you a purpose to go and make disciples. And that looks so different for every single person here, but there are steps of obedience on that mission. Lord, what does it look like to live out the mission of God? Not because you're good enough or you have the right techniques, but because you have the spirit of God, if you're in Christ, working through you. Being obedient to follow him on mission. And when we live on mission, I don't have time. I don't have as much time to worry about myself and my circumstances because there are people who don't know Jesus because there's brothers and sisters who, who maybe I can encourage as I just walk out my faith genuinely. Don't have the words to say, but here's what God's doing in my life. He's standing with us. He has already accomplished the victory on the cross and he has given us a mission to bring more to him. Let me pray. Father, we love you and we're so grateful, God, for your word. We're so grateful for how you love us. And we're grateful that you have um, given us a mission, Lord. But you have equipped us. Um, you go before us. You've given us your presence. You've given us your promises. And so, Lord, would those help us uh, stay resolved as we navigate um, hard things in our life, God. Um, that we would approach circumstances um, and, yes, grieve when it's a season to grieve. And, yes, ask for relief from a God who tells us to ask for relief, but also... God, that we would walk in our circumstances in a way that brings you glory and gives us peace. We pray all this in the name of Jesus. Amen.